welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Have you ever felt like you were the only one dealing with challenges that you didn't know how to overcome? You know those moments when you didn't have an answer and wish you could get the wisdom and guidance of those who have walked that path before you? Meet Lauren Feldman, former senior editor at Inc., Forbes, and New York Times, who shares his perspective on the power of community and what helps business leaders survive and thrive. Lauren Feldman is the chief content officer of 21 Hats, an online platform for business owners. He currently hosts the 21 Hats podcast and publishes the 21 Hats Morning Report, a daily email newsletter for entrepreneurs. Previously, he was a senior editor covering entrepreneurship at Inc., Forbes, and the New York Times, and hosted a call-in show for business owners, Mind Your Business, on Sirius XM. Lauren has also spoken and moderated discussions at numerous conferences and seminars on entrepreneurship. In this episode, Lauren reveals why it's important to be authentic if you want to inspire others and be willing to share your struggles, not just your successes. Lauren also shares his perspective on learning from your peers, asking for help, and leveling up together. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com. We'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Welcome, and thanks for joining me on the show. Um, I'm so excited to finally get to interview you, not the other way around. (laughs) My pleasure, Nikki. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Lauren, you are um, such a revered thought leader and someone that entrepreneurs, and especially so many women entrepreneurs, have been positively influenced by. We look up to you for your wisdom and experience. Um, you're That's someone- so nice of you to say. I, I hope there's some truth to that, but it's really nice of you Absolutely. to say. Absolutely. I mean, you have shaped a lot of careers, um, and you've also been a passionate advocate for entrepreneurs as, as well as for women entrepreneurs. Um, you know, so let's talk first, though, about your own journey and, you know, share the highlights of your career and what you've learned along the way. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm I'm a journalist by trade. Uh, I started primarily as a magazine journalist, long form. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of spending a lot of time really digging into a topic and then writing the definitive story. Uh, That became uh, less and less economically viable as my career went on and as the uh, internet uh, arrived. Um, At a certain point, I wound up kind of specializing in going to magazines and helping them rethink and redesign the magazine. And Mm -hmm. in 2002, I happened to get asked to do that by the new editor of Inc. Magazine. Mm. And I have an undergraduate degree in uh, business and uh, I'd done a good bit of business journalism, but I didn't know a lot about entrepreneurship. Uh, But it was a great opportunity to go to an interesting magazine and be part Mm -hmm. of redesigning and rethinking it, a process that I've always really enjoyed. And then a couple of things happened. One, I fell in love with it. I, mm-hmm. I just had no idea how much I would enjoy getting to know entrepreneurs and uh, being part of covering what they 
do and uh, and getting to meet entrepreneurs like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just, you know, it, it changed my life. Um, the other thing that happened is that the economy got even worse for the, the media industry. And whereas I had been used to the idea that I could go off and find another magazine to help <laughs> redesign, um, those opportunities became uh, less and less, at least for me. Uh, so I wound up staying at Inc. And, and really enjoying it. I was there for mm-hmm. about six years. Uh, I was the number two editor at the print magazine and then uh, became the editor-in-chief of the website, Inc.com, just as they were starting to take it more seriously and yeah. have it not just be a dumping ground for what the print uh, journalists did. Uh, so I kind of... That was my introduction to editing uh, on the web, which was great. And it helped me get my next job, which was building a web vertical about entrepreneurship for the New York Times, where I started a a small business blog called You're the Boss. I was there for about five or six years. And then I went to Forbes, uh, where I focused on entrepreneurship again. I was their um, main editor on entrepreneurial uh, stories. I I also helped create something that we called Forbes Small Giants, which was our attempt to um, to honor the best small businesses in America each year. Mm-hmm. We picked twenty five companies that we felt were were really special. They they all had to be um, they all had to be profitable. They all had to have been around for ten years. They had to be giving something back to their community. They had to treat their employees well. Uh, mm-hmm. We took it very seriously, and we produced great lists of companies that any business could learn from. And that was, the, that was the, the main thing that we looked for. For each company, we wanted to be able to say, I've never seen a company do this before. Right. This is something different. I love this. And that was what we looked for in the list. And that, it was a very successful list for them. Um, and then uh, in 2018, I decided to take what I'd learned at each of those companies and try to create something uh, with a partner uh, we wanted to build the definitive platform for business owners. Uh, we decided to call it 21 Hats, uh, which we thought was uh, a good name because it's memorable and also it indicates a degree of respect. We understand you have to wear a lot of hats to build a business. Yeah. We understand it's not easy and we're going to be there to help you. So we called it 21 Hats, what it takes to run a business. And we wanted to create a, um, a platform uh, where business owners could read great content and also uh, connect with each other. Um, didn't quite get as far as we expected to, but that's my journey. <laughs> but that's what now. the journeys are like. So what, what strikes me about this is you uh, have this incredible career in journalism and featuring uh, entrepreneurs and business stories. And, you know, that love for entrepreneurship made you one. Uh, but you also picked an opportune time for launching your own business in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> you know? I believe you did that too, Nikki. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, I did. You know, um, we, we have to, someday we're going to look back and say Lady Luck was on our side. Um, this actually is the third company I'm starting in a downturn. So, um, I've had lots of people tell me that's the best time to do it, that it's, it's a chance. It, it's sort of like, if you can do it then, if you can get some traction when yeah. the economy isn't great, it gives you an opportunity to figure out what's working and what doesn't work and then be ready when the economy turns and things pick up. That's exactly right because um, when the uh, economy is down, most people and even a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be lost in a sort of scarcity 
mindset. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's limitations of resources and all kinds of things. So if you are a startup during that time, you have so little to work with that it forces you to be really innovative and really resourceful, but you're also competing against more established businesses that are kind of losing. So they're trying to hold ground while you've got very little to lose. So I found that it actually turns out to be the best time to start. So what has your experience been um, going through this this year specifically? Well, it's, uh, it's been trying, it's been challenging as it has for most people. Um, we, we were really excited about what we were doing and we, we did some things that worked really well. We started with an email newsletter that goes out every day. It's designed to give entrepreneurs one place they can go and read all the day's stories from around the web that they need to know about. Um, and as you can imagine that, you know, People kind of got addicted on it during the pandemic when, you know, there was a constant flow of information that people had to find in various places, whether it was about PPP loans or, you know, any, any knowing what information to trust. I mean, there's just so much out there. So we would go out and try to aggregate it and we, you know, we were creating some of our own content, but it was mostly aggregation and that's been uh, successful for us. It's, it's uh, a free uh, newsletter at this point. We also created a podcast. Uh, once a week, I sit down with uh, three out of six uh, business owners who are regulars on the, on the podcast and we kind of talk about what's going on. And we started this before the crisis and I did worry at the time, you know, are, are we going to run out of things to talk about. How long will this last? And I kind of figured, you know, maybe we'll see how long it goes and then maybe I'll get a different group or, you know, we'll change the podcast in some way. And then the the crisis hit and suddenly the the conversations became much more dramatic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, I think it it was a real strength of the podcast. It's been a real strength that we're talking to the same people uh, on a a weekly basis uh, because we've seen how they've dealt with this from day one. And it's been a really interesting evolution for, for all of us. I mean, some of them were, uh, one in particular I think of was kind of in denial in the beginning. He did mm-hmm. not want to believe that he might have to actually shut down his uh, retail business. He just mm-hmm. couldn't accept it. And when somebody else on the podcast uh, said he better prepare for it, he, he kind of you know, lost his temper a little bit. There was some tension. Um, but of course, that happened. And you know, we've been through one challenge after another. One of, uh, we, we tape on Fridays and uh, one of our owners came to the podcast uh, directly from a meeting where he had uh, laid off people or furloughed people who represented, uh, I think, 40% of his payroll. Wow. And, um, you know, the, the owners that I picked are people that I knew well, and they've, they all committed to sharing the real story, what they were really going through, not knowing, of course, what they were going to go through with this sure. pandemic. Yeah. But they all kept to the bargain. They've all really talked about what it's been like. Um, you know, most of them have stopped paying themselves. Um, most of them have difficult stories to tell about mm-hmm. relationships with, um, with employees. Most of them have made difficult decisions about things like when to reopen the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody saw that decision the same way. Some people were happy to come back and get out of their uh, apartments and get away from their roommates. Uh, <laughs> other people were not so happy about it. And it's, you know, it's just been 
um, it's been very easy to come up with topics to talk about on oh. a week in and week out basis. So that's gone well. The big thing we were, we were looking to do though was to create this platform, which was mm-hmm. a place where we would publish great stories just like I did at uh, Inc. and the Times and Forbes, um, but give it much more of a community component than we had anywhere mm-hmm. else. Uh, a little bit it was drawing on my experience at the Times where starting the small business blog where I learned a really important and humbling lesson as a journalist, which was that on that blog, however good our content was, the most important part of the blog was the conversations that our content elicited elicited among actual business owners. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, I read a comment um, about that, uh, you know, that at the end of the day for any entrepreneur, it's learning and uh, being able to collaborate or, you know, get insights from a fellow entrepreneur rather than someone who's a thought leader but has never done it themselves. And I think there's so much truth to that. So Absolutely. And and as reporters, we would talk to entrepreneurs, but there's only so many people you can interview for any story. Um, And inevitably, when we posted something, people would weigh in and say, well, I agree with this, but I disagree with that. Or here's another way of looking at it. And and that was the real value. So that's what I wanted to recreate on this platform. And we designed it. We were really excited about it. Uh, But we were probably uh, three months away from actually getting it built. The design was complete. The build didn't start. And then we ran into the crisis. And my partner had some cash flow problems at his core business. So we put it on hold. And ultimately, uh, we're in the process of separating now. And uh, I'm going to take this over myself and try to build on what, it, what we did get off the ground, the, the newsletter and the podcast, and eventually get that, that platform built as well. Well, you've officially earned your entrepreneurial stripes, my friend. <laughs> I don't know if that's, I don't know, are you an entrepreneur when you try to start a business or when you actually have a business? Because I'm not sure I'm there yet. When you've gone through the seventh obstacle <laughs> in, in six weeks, then yeah, then it's real. So uh, that's uh, incredible, but I have no doubt that you'll find a way through it. And that's what the community is for. And I uh, am so grateful and appreciative of what you're building to bring entrepreneurs together and provide a forum for that kind of community and collaboration. Um, I want to comment about your podcast uh, approach, which um, I absolutely love. The reason it resonates so much with me is, well, twofold. One, that instead of having new guests every time, it's almost like reality TV watching the journey and life unfolding for the same set of people over time as unpredictable things happen, you know, they're navigating through uncertainty and you're really cataloging all of that on this podcast. So that's super fascinating. The second piece um, is, you know, that unlike a lot of stories that get told in any kind of media, a lot of the focus is on the overnight success, the rags to riches story you get into what the night was like, how scary, difficult, painful, restless, stressful it was. And I love that you dig into that because that is really where everything happens. Well, Nikki, you've, you've made my day, maybe my week and my month <laughs> as well. I, I so appreciate your saying that. That, that is the goal. That, would, that is what we were hoping. I mean, I have to admit, as a, having spent many years in business journalism, I'm partially responsible for the situation you're describing. We business journalists traditionally have focused too much 
on the uh, the huge you know rock star successes. It's you know it's it's, well, it's, it's so it's tempting. Glamorous, but it's it glamorous, and those stories have value. They, yeah. they belong there, but but they're not representative of what most people go through trying to Absolutely. build a business. And I wanted to capture something that was relevant to the vast majority of businesses who are not on a rocket ship. And uh, that's how I picked the, uh, the biz- business owners. Well, actually, even the ones guess. that have experienced the rocket ship you know, uh, momentum do go through a lot of the same stuff. It's just that nobody really focuses on it or talks about it with the absolute raw um, authenticity that you express on your podcast, which uh, the feeling for me and as a listener was, I just felt less alone. And um, that was, you know, it, well, it was you, know it, like, you have to have the right people and yeah. it's, it's meeting people. And, you know, by the way, uh, I sort of, I feel like I collect entrepreneurs like that who are willing to share their story. So I remember exactly when I met you, it was <laughs> at a dinner uh, in Palm Springs at the EY Strategic Growth Forum. And we were sitting outside. It was outside, a cool yeah. November night and they had the, uh, uh, they had the fires going, uh, trying to keep us warm. And we went around the table and everybody told their story and you told an incredibly compelling story and yeah. shared, you know, the, the real side of, of building a business. Yeah, and, because and ironically so at that time, it was a lot of, you know, a uh, similar way. I mean, I was getting awards and recognitions everywhere that celebrated the successes, but nobody until then had talked about what it took to get from point A to point B, you know, and, and not just the business journey, but the personal journey sure. and the setbacks and the suffering through that. Um, there's always a personal side to it. There's always a personal side, but even frankly, up until I'd spoken to you, I wasn't even comfortable sharing that. And it was a personal conversation that ended up in print and, uh, you know, what it did for me. And I want you to know that and, and to anyone listening that when you finally come to terms with being able to share your own story in its, you know, in all its ugly details and, you know, the, the hard, painful things that are very hard to express publicly, it's very liberating because you own your truth. And then from that point on, you realize how powerful it is in inspiring other people that then recognize you as a leader who was able to say something that most other people are too scared to admit in public. You're absolutely right. And uh, Nikki, I don't know if you realize how few business leaders fully understand what you just said. I think often as, as a journalist, you wind up in a, in a conversation where a, a business leader is just intensively focused on really marketing. They want right. to tell the story they want to tell about the success yeah. of their business. And they're looking, they're looking at it as an opportunity to, you know, drive more revenue. Whereas, they would probably do better in the long run if they were just real and talked about what it really takes. And that's a much better way to connect with people than, than trying to sell them. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you're trying to create this perfect polished image, uh, people don't relate to that. So, you know, I think through your work um, in the past, as well as what you're doing right now through the podcast, and I've no doubt that's what the platform will facilitate for entrepreneurs as well. Um, I think for um, every entrepreneur out there that is struggling alone, it's, it's a resource to realize that you don't have to worry alone. 
you know, that there's other people to share, learn, grow, connect, and, and succeed together. Absolutely. Do you want to grow your impact as a change agent who ignites transformation in others, but you don't have a proven step-by-step method? Do you want to grow your visibility and influence as a thought leader to inspire others, but you don't know where to begin? The Beyond Barriers High Performance Executive Coach Certification is designed for experienced leaders who want to grow their impact and influence. Join this exclusive community of high achievers, advance your career as a leader, and experience the joy of helping others grow. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com and register for the webinar to learn more. So, um... What are some of the gut-wrenching moments that you didn't anticipate or maybe one lesson that you personally sort of learned that even as someone who's been a student of business for this long, you know, it's something that surprised you personally? Um, oh, gosh, there have been lots of surprises. I, I have to... You know, I, I don't want to claim to be an entrepreneur yet. I, nobody's paid me a dime <laughs> for, for anything we offer. So it, it, it's too soon. I want to be clear about that. Um, I, I've got a ways to go. And I also want to be clear. I, I, I haven't done what you did and what most entrepreneurs do in, in terms of, uh, you know, taking the financial risk uh, to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I, I found a partner and we we agreed that it would be mutually beneficial to build this platform together. And I brought uh, experience with content and community and contacts with lots of business organizations around the country and great entrepreneurs who I knew would um, you know, participate in a podcast or talk for a story or something like that. And frankly, he, he put up the money. Uh, he paid me a salary, uh, as well as uh, financing the development of the uh, the things that we built. So, um, it, it, it's not a, a true reflection of the entrepreneurial experience for most people. Mm-hmm. I've had it very easy. I'm also a little bit older than a lot of entrepreneurs. I have two kids, but they're out of college, so the the financial risk for me is, is not as great. Now we, we are coming to a crossroads and it is, I'm going to own it. It's going to be mine and I'm going to be risking some of my own money. So um, I'm kind of excited about that. The, the, I guess that, you know, the, there, there hasn't been anything that hugely surprised me. The disappointment was that we didn't get the platform built before the mm-hmm. pandemic. Cause as you were saying about, you know, going through tough times, I really believe that this would have been an, a wonderful, I mean, as awful as it's been, the crisis, it would have been a wonderful opportunity to prove that we had value. I think we could have helped a lot of people. Mm. And um, and it's a shame we didn't get the chance to do that because we were so close. Yeah. Um, so that's the, well, that's the you know, gut-wrenching the, aspect the, of it. The impact of the pandemic is going to last a long time. So I think there's uh, you know, plenty of uh, opportunity to make a difference to the folks you're trying to help. And I know as someone who uh, is in your target audience as an entrepreneur, uh, I relate to it a lot because um, that feeling of isolation, of not knowing who to ask for advice, not knowing what to even ask. Sometimes you're just facing the right. problem and you don't even know how to frame the question. And if you don't know the question, you don't know how to, you know, who to ask, where to ask. And having that forum, I think, is tremendously valuable. So, um, you know, with that said, um, you know, your 
uh, as you mentioned, you've been an observer of businesses and business owners. Um, you know, given that unique vantage point, what are some of the common traits of successful leaders that you've seen over the years? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, one of the things, and I'd love to hear your response to this, one of the things that I've thought, given a lot of thought to and talked to people uh, about a lot is the notion that to, to be an entrepreneur, I think you really have to be incredibly stubborn. You have to be headstrong. You have to be willing to keep going when a lot of people tell you, <laughs> you're nuts. That's not going to work. Or why don't you just get a job? Uh, why would you take that risk? Why would you put in those hours? Uh, it's crazy. And yet people do it and they keep going. Uh, but the interesting thing to me is that can only work for so long. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to have that inner something that drives you forward. But at some point, you have to start taking advice too. You have to, you, you can't know everything you need to know to build a business. So you have to be willing to listen to other people and sometimes do things that, that seem counterintuitive to you. Yeah. So um, I think there's, there's a really interesting tension there between mm-hmm. having the drive to keep going no matter what, but also an awareness that there are times when you do have to, to listen to someone else's opinion and how you calibrate that, I think is a real challenge that determines, mm-hmm. you know, success or failure for our, for a lot of people. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I would have described it as just entrepreneurs are just a bundle of contradictions. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> you know, if you find the fine balance between the two opposing sides, uh, you can find success. If you lean too much on one side or the other, you're going to go through some tough experiences and hardships and suffering. You know, uh, like you said, on one hand, you have to have absolute conviction and your belief, uh, whether it's about an idea or a mission. On the other hand, you have to have the humility to surround yourself with people better than you and more experienced than you. Um, you have to have the optimism, but you also have to have a level of paranoia to <laughs> you know, keep going. So there's so many contradictions. And yeah, there's so many examples of that. You know, uh, on, the, on the 21 Hats podcast, one of the things we talk about a lot is pricing, which I think is something that people really struggle with. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it, it, it's really hard for a lot of people. And I think if, if there's a common mistake that uh, business owners make, they, they tend to underprice what oh, they absolutely. do. It happens all the time. And what they don't focus on is, yeah, if you raise your prices, you might lose some business. But you, you might lose bad business. You might lose customers that you don't really want. And you're gonna ha- you might end up with more revenue. Uh, in fact, you're very likely to end up with more revenue, not less, and more time to do whatever you do well. Um, so it's, it's something that you, 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 you can't just dismiss. And that doesn't mean everybody should raise their prices, but everybody should think about raising their mm-hmm. prices for sure. And there are a lot of people who just can't pull the trigger on it. They're afraid that everybody's going to disappear. And it's mm-hmm. very unlikely that everybody's going to disappear if, if you raise your prices. But again, you know, who do you listen to? Who, who do right. you trust? How do you make that decision? How much do you rely on you know, the wisdom of others? Uh, how much do you decide for yourself? There's no, 
right answer. Yeah, to that. I mean the you know, the uh, description of good judgment uh, really sums it up in some ways. Of you know, good judgment comes from experience, but you know, experience comes from you know bad judgment. So in some way, in order to get there, you have to have made a lot of mistakes and uh, and learn from that, and you just get better over time of you know gaining that self awareness and knowing when to help, ask for help. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about women entrepreneurs and women leaders. You know, you and I uh, met each other through the EY Winning Women program, uh, which we're both huge fans of. Absolutely. And uh, you've been very keenly involved in that, huge supporter and ally. Um, what are some of the things you've observed about women entrepreneurs and women leaders in general, um, you know, with that kind of uh, close proximity and seeing so many people over a long period of time? Um, you know, first of all, I just want to say that that program is just a fabulous program. Um, I, I almost hate to talk about it because I kind of like keeping it as my little secret, at least among, <laughs> among journalists. I, I started going close to 10 years ago to, yeah. to that event and I, I really just went because of the Winning Women program. You know, it's a fabulous event. They spend an incredible amount of money on it, and they have big name uh, entertainers there. You know, Jay Leno used to go, and you know, they have big, you know, rock bands, and you know, all, all kinds of things. But I, I went for the one program because, you know, cover looking for businesses, as I said before, that I like to cover. You know, those who are not necessarily uh, on a rocket ship to success. Right. Um, the Winning Women program finds women like you who have, um, you know, great ideas, uh, a great business, but maybe need some uh, some coaching, can use some support. Um, and visibility. I and mean, visibility. And, and gives them the opportunity to, to get that. And they introduce a new cohort every year. And I would be the only journalist there year after year meeting them. And I don't know why. Because uh, <laughs> it, there, there, it was such a great use of my time. There was nowhere else in the world I could go where I would meet more terrific people uh, in you know one two or three day period than I could there, um, so I'm I'm a, a little confused as to why it's not <laughs> better known at least among journalists. I know it's well known uh, among entrepreneurs, but it, it's I, I've made so many great contacts uh, mm -hmm. through it, and gosh, it's hard for me to sit here and think what they have in common. That's I don't have a good answer for you that uh, to that. I don't think I, I, I think I've, you know, I've met a lot of women who aren't part of that program and I would, you, you'll know this better than I do. And you can tell me whether I'm right or, about this or not, but I've heard a lot of women say that they think women entrepreneurs are just are not as confident as mm -hmm. male entrepreneurs. They don't, yeah. they don't, have it's that. a risk-taking factor that's that's hugely different. Um, and you know, in, in my own experience with EY Winning Women, what first of all, what struck me was what a small percentage. What is it? Less than one to two percent of women-owned businesses even cross a million dollars, which in itself is mind-boggling. It, 
it's absolutely mind-boggling and and it's a little bit like winning the olympics because no one else showed up you know and while the recognition is a tremendous honor and uh, a great opportunity to build community but it's also reflective of how um little scale um so many women own businesses achieve so to answer your question then i i would say this i I don't think the Winning Women program is representative of women entrepreneurs at large. It's a mm-hmm. different group. It's a different league. Yeah. They are women. You know, there, there is a wide range of businesses that I've met there, you know, from yeah. quite small to uh, quite large. Um, but, but they're all, they don't suffer from a lack of confidence by mm-hmm. and large. They wouldn't be there if they did. Right. And so it's, it's, it's a different group. I don't, I think they're very different from the women entrepreneurs I, I meet elsewhere. So I look at them as just being great entrepreneurs who, who happen to be women. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I go there every, or before the pandemic. That's why I went there yeah. every year and hope I will again, uh, someday. Um, but they're, it's, you know, it's it's hard to to generalize uh, across all of them because they're they're all yeah. different. They all bring different strengths. No, absolutely. Although you know, I think a lot of the research has already revealed that the confidence factor does make up for a lot because it's you know those self limiting beliefs about whether you can or whether you can't, and you know. Um, Men are more willing to fake it till they make it. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, I think the, the precision of saying, well, I haven't, you know, checked all the boxes, so maybe I'm not ready to go in to raise funding or hire my first employee. And so much of business growth comes from leverage um, and access. You need access to resources and relationships um, and capital. And you know, that confidence factor makes a huge difference whether you're willing to take the access and take it. I I will say this. I'm not a huge fan of the venture capital industry. I think, you know, they're they're clearly companies with ambitions that require venture capital Mm -hmm. and there's no other way they could be built. But I think the the, the system destroys a lot of good businesses too. I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of businesses that take venture capital that had they not taken it, they probably would have succeeded uh, on their own terms. But once they bring in venture investors, they've got to exceed on someone else's terms. And mm-hmm. maybe the business wasn't cut out for that and they don't make it. And the venture investors probably don't really care because that's part of their business right. model. All they need is one out of 10 to succeed big and you know the other nine don't matter. But some of those other nine could have been great businesses. So I think there's one... One thing I've observed, I, I, I hate when all the focus about women entrepreneurs is on whether they get venture capital or not, mm-hmm. because yeah, of course they should get venture capital the way men do. I mean, they, they have every right to, you know, have their businesses ruined by venture capital that, that men do, but, <laughs> but, but that's not the deciding yeah. factor for sure. most businesses is wh- whether they're going to uh, succeed or not. And there are plenty of other challenges and hurdles that women face. And those, yeah. those challenges and hurdles, I think, don't get as much attention as the venture capital ones. I, I completely agree. I think something about the whole Silicon Valley glamour factor tends to 
overemphasize fundraising as some kind of, uh, you know, major achievement and celebrates less the whole idea of making a first dollar of revenue on your own, you know, organic growth is way harder and it's more sustainable. And we tend to sort of ignore how hard that is uh, to not only do it the first time, but to keep But also how valuable it is. It is. You know, the the best money you can raise is by earning a customer. (laughs) I mean, even people who take venture capital will tell you the best thing you can do is to put off taking the capital as long as you possibly can. If you can get your company as far as possible without it, you'll be in a stronger position when you you do take it. And obviously for some companies, it's the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. For me, you know, going through that experience myself, um, what I value the most was visibility. And and that's why, you know, your involvement in the um, entrepreneurial community was um, so relevant and important because a lot of women um, don't necessarily share their stories or feel like it's a little bit like bragging and self-promotion is uncomfortable. Yeah, men don't have that problem. Yeah. (laughs) But on the other hand, you know, if you if other women can't see it, you can't be it, you know, so the importance of visible role models um, is very important in changing the narrative and changing the statistics of that. And what I think the EY Winning Women program really did uh, for so many of us, and I can certainly say that for myself, is my life changed after that point. My skills didn't, my vision didn't, my business success was earned, but what fundamentally happened only because of that program and, and because of you and, and other folks that supported that was visibility. It gave me a spotlight, uh, it put a spotlight, it gave me a voice, it gave me a platform to make a difference. And then through that, inspire a lot of other people as well. And then also normalize success in many ways that made it possible to take even bigger leaps. So um, from that standpoint, you cataloging stories of entrepreneurs and being able to share that, it is changing the narrative. It does change what, how people view themselves. You did a terrific podcast with Sherry Deutschman, yes. who is a, a winning women uh, alum uh, who started an amazing company uh, and has a, a, an amazing personal story. And I think it's a ex- great example of what you're talking about. I mean, she, she built that business on her own. She did it, by the way, without any debt, without any investment, a, bit of, exactly. a $40 million business, just a, a, a great business, um, and, and ultimately uh, sold it. I think that for her, the, the real value probably was, you know, people heard her story and what, what, a, yeah. what a great exactly. story she had to tell. Yeah, absolutely. So looking forward, you know, into, you know, we're um, still in the COVID era. Things are still uncertain. Yeah, when's that going to end, Nikki? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm looking for your prediction, Lauren. You're the one. Who's <laughs> so uh, like, like most people in business, we're all sort of, you know, trying to make decisions as we're, as we've jumped off the cliff and we're building the airplane on the way down, trying to figure it out. Um, you know, what advice would you give to people from everything you've learned and observed and studied? You know, what, what can someone, you know, guide themselves with in this very uncertain time? Not just now, but we're also in this digital age where there's artificial intelligence and automation that is disrupting the traditional way of doing business. Um, living with uncertainty is the norm. It's not getting used to it or waiting for it to go away. You know, what advice would you give? Well, I think my 
best advice is probably not to take advice from someone like me who hasn't actually <laughs> done it, uh, but instead- a Very to, humble, Lauren. <laughs> well, very true. Uh, instead, find your tribe, find mm. your group, find other people going through it. And it, you know, it, it can't just be one person. Um, you, you need a diversity of opinion. Uh, you know, I think about the conversations we had on the podcast. It's, it, you know, you might have five people saying one thing and then one person says something completely different and everybody's mouth hangs open. Um, you know, when he's, with his, uh, Paul Downs is one of our business owners. He owns a company that makes high-end custom conference tables. And, um, you know, he's facing a tough time right now. Not only is there an economic crisis and people aren't spending money the way they were before, but there's this whole work from home thing. Who knows how many high-end conference tables people right. are going to want to buy going forward. Now, I think a lot of us are going to go back into the office eventually, yeah. but but not this year and yeah. maybe not next year and who knows. So he's, he's got a, a lot to think about and a lot of people have been telling him, oh, you need to pivot, you need to pivot. And I mean, that's, that's what you hear from everybody. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for a lot of people, it, it makes sense. I, I believe yeah. you pivoted uh, mm -hmm. with yeah. your business. There are times what, what you have no choice. But, but Paul in one of our podcasts had this great comment that you know, everybody's telling him, you know, maybe you should make desks for uh, work from home offices. Yeah, he charges thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars for a great um, custom-made conference table. He can't start making three hundred or four hundred dollar desks home to desk, yeah. somebody from home and, and compete with Wayfair or IKEA mm -hmm. or whoever else does that. That doesn't make any sense for him. He, that that's their competency. It's not his. So his decision has been basically, I'm you know, I'm going to try to keep my powder dry. I'll, I'm going to sell as many tables as I can. There are people out there who are still buying, you know, a lot of it, you know, some of it's government offices, some of it's military. There are people who are still buying from him. So he's going to serve as many customers as he can find, but he knows he's, you know, he's going to do a small percentage of his expected revenues. He's going to lose, have to lay off people for low people. Um, but he's going to try to do whatever he can just to make sure he's here when, you know, it comes back, when the pandemic is under yeah. control, the, uh, the recovery begins in full and people start, you know, going back into offices and buying those, those tables again. So, that's a long answer to your question, but I think th there's no one answer for, yeah. for anybody. And um, if you're looking for advice, I, th I think you got to talk to a lot of people and yeah. weigh their opinions. Well, you know, for everyone out there listening and uh, hoping to figure out the way, I, I think that's what the 21 Hats community is about. And that's what the resources that you provide that help people navigate through all of the uncertainty and risk. So um, I hope they'll go check it out and see, you know, how they can um, benefit from finding their tribe and getting answers in the midst of all of this darkness and uh, uncertainty. So thank you, Lauren. I loved having you on the show. And thanks for sharing your wisdom. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. If people go to 21hats.com, they can find both the uh, the daily email and, uh, and the podcast. But Nikki, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the Absolutely. opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all resources for each show, including the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.